Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Good morning again, everyone. Good morning. Hey, can we thank Verona and the band for leading us to worship? Can we thank them? Thank you, guys. Well, um, I hope you guys had a good Christmas because we certainly did here at Community of Hope. We had great services here, particularly at the East Campus. For our first time since Community of Hope has been here, we had two Christmas Eve services. And did you guys want to know how many people we brought in to Community of Hope all across all of our services, across all of Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve? Do you want to know? All right, great. So all together, we had 2,983 people attend worship at Community of Hope over Christmas. Isn't that great? Now, here's what the really cool thing is about that to, to us here, especially at the East Campus. You guys right here had 150 more people come this year than last year. You are a growing church. You are a growing church. And this is all of what we've, our hearts have been about, about coming here to the East Campus when Community Folk became partners here with everyone that uh, we wanted to bring new life and we wanted to grow and reach people in the name of Jesus. We are doing that. We are growing. It's working. Amen? Amen. That's an awesome thing. Uh, one thing that we also tried to do is we lifted up our Christmas missions offering uh, across all of our Christmas Eve services, or your Christmas services, because we met on the 23rd as well. And our goal was to raise $75,000 in one offering. So no matter what campus you went to, what service you went to, all of the offering from those Christmas services, every last dollar was going to be collected to go out, out of these walls, across the walls of Community of Hope, and uh, not a dollar spent here, but to be spent on people in need to help relieve suffering in the name of Jesus, to expand hearts, to connect people to the hope of Jesus. Every last dollar is to be spent locally, regionally, and internationally on our mission to reach people the hope of Jesus Christ. And across all of our services, we not only raised $75,000, we raised eighty three. Thousand dollars, yeah. Praise God, praise God. Now here's the thing: we're still counting. It's not too late to give to that. It's not too late to give. If you did not give and you want to be in on that, go for it. Because here's what the really cool thing is: we budgeted for seventy-five thousand, but because um, all of you were so generous to give above and beyond your normal offering to this specific offering, we now have a surplus, and we can dream bigger dreams with Jesus for how to reach more people with that. Pretty cool, huh? So praise God for that. Praise God for that. So thank you to everybody. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, and uh, I know Pastor Dale is tremendously grateful too, and this money is going to go towards a lot of good for us being in mission together in the world. It's a fantastic thing. Um, so we had Christmas here. I hope you had a great Christmas day. I did with my family. Uh, we went home. We did presents in the morning. We're presents on Christmas morning. How many of you do presents on Christmas Eve? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So we're Christmas morning family. We did presents on Christmas morning. And then around lunchtime, we ate a quick lunch. And then we all went to the airport and we hopped on a plane to go to Atlanta. So here's my road warrior kids at the airport. Us with all of our luggage going through an empty, almost empty airport on Christmas Day. And we flew to Atlanta to spend uh, Christmas with Leah's family. Her, uh, both of her sisters live up in Atlanta. So here's a picture of all of her family. 
And so, yeah, that we have her mom and her dad. Uh, we have her aunt, her cousins that live in Atlanta, cousins that live in Vermont. It's a big family gathering. They get together either for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Every single year, family is very important to them. It's great to be married into such a wonderful family. On the far right of the picture there, um, you can see uh, Leah's younger sister, Whitney, holding our baby, Susanna. Whitney is giving birth to her first child in one month. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so that's a great thing. So it's a growing family. So that was really fun. And I'm just really doing, you know, my Rolodex of slides right now for pictures. This has nothing to do with the message. It's just, here's my life. Ta-da. And so then after that, this is really cool. Here's a picture of Leah's immediate family. Or this is us. Addressed weird with Leah's dad. And why are we dressed weird? Why do I have that bandana around my head? Why does Susanna have that? Well, we all stole clothes from Leah's dad because Leah's dad retired this past Friday. Isn't that cool? So this is a happy retirement party for her dad. And if you're looking carefully, yes, my wife did color a mustache across her face uh, to celebrate her dad. Her dad grew up with a big old bushy Tom Selleck mustache. And so he shaved it a few years ago. So it was a great time uh, for Christmas celebrating to be with family. I hope it was great for you guys too. Leads us all to this new year. Happy new year, everybody. Happy 2020. I feel, isn't it great? I know. I, I think it's really cool to be in 2020 for a couple reasons in particular. One, it's nice to not have to be able to say 2005, 2019. We can just go back to how it was, 2020. I feel like Barbara Walters. This is 2020, right? It's a great thing. Now, I, I love I love New Year's. I'm a holiday person. I'm a festive person. I love the New Year's season. I really do. Um, I hope you do too. One of the reasons I love the New Year's season is because um, I, I get really jazzed up dreaming new dreams. Uh, I get jazzed up dreaming about goals for my life and for the life of my family, for the life of our church here. I get really amped up thinking about that. It's not because I'm a type A person. If you know me, I am like very much not type A at all. I couldn't organize myself if my life depended on it. Um, I just like to dream. And uh, it's interesting when I think about New Year's resolutions and all that type of stuff that I love that part. So how many of you are New Year's resolutions types of folks? How many of you are? Only like three hands? Are you serious? Wow. Studies say that it's about 60% of Americans are New Year's resolutions people. Maybe you're all like, if I lift my hand, I'll jinx it and I won't do it. Um, I, I love this. Now, I put up online, if we're friends on Facebook, I like to do this when I'm just curious about something. They're like, hey, uh, tell me what your New Year's, New Year's resolutions are. And there's a couple of them that are really interesting. One person put online, uh, they said, uh, what's your New Year's resolutions like this year? They said, now, listen carefully to this. I thought this was really clever. Their resolution was to make better choices about what to put into their mouth and what comes out of it. Isn't that so thoughtful? I thought that was cool. Um, another person uh, said that their resolution is they want to serve their community three times and they want to travel to a place they've never been to, right? A little bit of giving back, a little bit of going on adventure. I like that. Here's one that you would expect totally from a church person of what's uh, your New Year's resolution like. And one person, this sounds totally stereotypical at first, but then it takes a turn. It says, my resolution is I want to pray more in 2020. And to take my makeup off before bed. Okay, great. <laughs> great. So um, I actually started reading a book about this. Now, it has nothing to do with a new series. A new series we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks is called Best Year Yet. Uh, but I started reading a book, not for the series, but just for me. 
because I love this stuff, and it's called Best Year Ever. It's by a renowned leadership expert, prolific blogger, podcaster, Michael Haidt. He's former CEO, I think, of Thomas Nelson Publishing. I mean, he's just a brilliant guy, and I highly recommend him. He's a follower of Jesus. It's not all Christian stuff that he does, but it's just great life stuff. And that's good, especially for some of you who might be navigating faith. You're not sure if you buy into the whole Christianity thing, um, By the way, we're the type of church that you can belong here before you believe. This is a safe place to navigate faith here at our church. So anyway, Michael Hyatt has this book called Best Year Ever. I'm reading it for my personal life just to learn about how to set some better goals for 2020. And he said this particularly about what people do when New Year starts. They set goals around some of these lines. They say that, oh, we want to lose weight and eat healthier. Anybody here already on a diet? I am with you. Okay, so we want to lose weight. We want to eat healthier. Some people make goals to be better people. Some people make goals to spend less, to save more. Some people want to deepen their relationship with God. Some uh, want to spend more time with family and friends. Others want to exercise more often. Uh, Some want to learn to do something new, to do more good deeds for others. Some who might be particularly single say, I want to find the love of my life. Some will say, man, I want to find a better job than what I'm currently in. Michael Hyde writes, he says, generally, we're always talking about our health, our wealth, our relationships, and our personal development. He says, I get that. And my governing assumption in this book uh, is that you want to grow personally, professionally, relationally, intellectually, and spiritually. And that's important because when people like you and like me reach our full potential The world has more happy marriages. Kids have their moms and dads at night. Businesses have leaders worth admiring and emulating. And you have the health and vitality necessary to fuel your dreams. One intentional choice at a time, you make the world around you better. I just love that. I just absolutely love that. When people make goals to how to make their life better, when people make goals to how to become a better person, to make this a great year, you not only become a better version of you, but the world becomes a better place because you are better you in it. This is a good and godly thing to reach for in 2020, is to aspire to have your best year yet. And we think here, it's our working assumption that in this ancient book, that there is wisdom and advice and counsel even if you're unconvinced about the claims of the Bible yet, that there is wisdom in this book that if followed and you let it inform your choices will lead to your best year yet. Anybody here want to have the best year yet in 2020? Yes, we all do. And I firmly believe with all my heart that if we make some of the decisions that this book advises us to, that that's actually totally possible. And what if this year could be your best year? year yet. So with that, here's what I want you to do. If you haven't already, take out your sermon notes from your uh, Connect folder you handed on your way in. Uh, in there, we have the, on the scripture passage that we're going to be reading. I believe, too, that you should also have these little cards in your Connect folder. You guys, are they in the Connect folders here at the East Campus? Yes. Great, okay. So grab these. On the back of this is our theme verse. It's 2 Peter 1 chapter 3. We're going to read a big section from 2 Peter 1 today, but go ahead and grab this. We're going to read 1 through 11, but when we get to verse 3, I want you to read it out loud all together with me because this verse is going to center our attention over the next several weeks as we try to focus our attention uh, for this coming year. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and read this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here's verse 3. Let's read it all together. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, let's pray. I'm going to invite you to, instead of listening to me pray, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer silently in your heart, just you and God. It's a prayer that comes from Psalm 119. And so just you and God silently to yourselves, in your, to your heart, to him, I pray this. Open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your law. Go ahead and do that now, just you and him. Father, thank you that that's a prayer you always answer. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so right away from this passage, what we just read, this ancient letter to the churches of the first century followers of Jesus, those first eyewitnesses, the very first people who joined in the Jesus movement, carries immediate name recognition. Uh, in the ancient world, when you would write a letter like this was, and when you, write a, when you wrote a letter to somebody, we write letters to dear Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. That's the first thing we say. In the ancient world, they started with introducing yourself. And we can see it right away. This letter is written by Simon Peter, who's known as, we just call him Peter. He's the most famous disciple and apostle of all of the uh, disciples of Jesus, of the 12 Peter is the one. His original name was Simon. If you're new to the Bible, um, he was called Simon, but Jesus gave him a nickname, Peter. And Peter in Greek, when Jesus called him this, it was Petros, which Jesus looked at him and said, you're called Simon, but really, I want to call you the rock. Now, not Dwayne, not Dwayne, but the rock is in, I'm going to build my church upon the confession that you just made. So he forever is known by the nickname that Jesus gave him. 
Peter. Now, we love Peter. Peter is the most, um, if you've been in church a while, you know this about Peter. If you, have, if you haven't been in church or it's been a while since you've been in church, here's some new information about him. Peter is like the most relatable of all the 12 disciples. I mean, am I right? He's the most relatable. He's the most normal person of all of them. Jesus did not pick a bunch of religious, goody two-shoe, religiously educated, elite people. He picked the salt of the earth, normal people. Peter was a commercial fisherman when Jesus said, come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people instead. Um, Peter is so normal and relatable because he was so hot and cold. He was like intensely passionate about Jesus and intensely human and frail all at the same time. So in one moment, he would look at Jesus and be like, I would die for you. And later that night, he would deny that he even knew Jesus. He ghosted Jesus. He wouldn't even deny it. Thank you for laughing if you know what I meant by ghosted. Thank you. <laughs> Ask your grandkids later if you don't know, okay? Um, Peter's so normal, relatable. Peter had perpetual foot and mouth syndrome. Peter was always, when everyone else, you know when like something happens and you don't know what to say, so you just don't say anything at all? Not Peter. Something would happen and Peter would be the idiot in the 12 who'd always say something and then choke on his own shoelaces. Peter was the guy who's a man of action, always jumping to the fray on something. I mean, we can all relate to Peter. He's a normal person, which really frustrates me. Because in all of Christian art, all throughout the centuries, you probably remember this from high school, or maybe if you're a fan of art growing uh, art, and especially in the Renaissance era, my goodness, they would have all these religious paintings and all these religious art that would look weird. Go Google it when you come look for a painting of Peter. It's either an icon that's 2D, not 3D, or he's, he or all the other disciples have this weird posture where they're like looking up at the sky and their mouths are gaping open and they're like, Who wants to hang out with that guy? That's weird. Here's a better painting of Peter that looks like from the time frame that he wrote this letter. It's from an artist named Kenneth Wyatt. Now that's Peter. Grizzled, old fisherman. Loves Jesus and loves to fish. And all the men said, amen. Yeah, all right. Peter apparently has biceps and he didn't skip going to the gym either. I love this. He looks like an old Pierce Brosnan, you know? Anyway, uh, Peter wrote 2 Peter right before he died in his old age. Uh, Peter didn't, uh, just like almost all the other disciples, he didn't die of old age. He was martyred. Uh, He was put to death, we know from history and from church tradition, he was killed and martyred by Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire. He wrote Second Peter from uh, prison in Rome, knowing what was awaiting him, knowing that he was going to be killed. He was martyred because he said, Jesus, the one who died, who I denied, but who rose again, and I've seen it with my eyes, that he's alive, he's not dead. I don't care what you threaten me with. He's alive forevermore, and he is Lord. And by saying Jesus is Lord, It implied that Caesar is not. By that one claim alone, got Peter killed. And Peter died by crucifixion in Rome. And Peter, this guy who was a coward before the death of Jesus by denying him, 
But by Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit became the lion of Christianity who roared powerfully on the day of Pentecost. This Peter, when being, when being brought to the cross, he's nailed to a cross on the ground, and before they lift him up, looked at the Roman centurions and said, wait, before you crucify me, I'm not worthy to die the same way my Lord did. So would you turn me upside down? And Peter died by crucifixion upside down because he thought he was not worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. This is Peter. And Second Peter, the letter that we're reading from, is like his last charge to the followers of Jesus, his last charge to the church to grow spiritually. It's like his last call for them to be like, no matter what you do, this is what's most important and put all of your emphasis on this. And because of such a great man said those words inspired by the Holy Spirit, we would be wise to take heed of them today. So what did he write about? First thing, he used this word precious. If you're taking notes, write that word down, precious. You can see it, he uses it twice, once in verse one, once in verse four. He talks about we've received a faith as precious as ours and that there are very great and precious promises God has given to us. Now, why would he talk about precious? When I hear the word precious and precious faith, I'm not necessarily inspired, right? I'm not necessarily um, inspired by the word Precious, so to say. Um, it's, we just all came out of Christmas time. Is anybody still taking down Christmas ornaments? Taking down Christmas? Yep, okay. We have a little bit left over at our house to do. And we just took all the ornaments off the Christmas tree. And in our house with lots of little kids, um, you know, stuff can break. And so we, have, we don't just have decorative ornaments. In my family, the family I grew up in, uh, ornaments are special. And each one has a story. And each one retells the history of our family. Like my favorite ornament ever is a gold ornament that my dad gave my mom when they were engaged as their first Christmas together. And so every year, we say, kids, this is the ornament grandpa gave Nana when they were engaged. Say, kids, this is what I gave your mom, and this was your first ornament. This, and so we, you know, it's all just very precious things, right? When you have little kids, you just don't want them manhandling all this precious stuff with their little paws. And so we have a rule in our house of, oh, you, oh, you can touch, but just with one finger, Okay, and, and so we're not bargaining it. Don't touch that. One finger, one finger, because it's precious. Is this what Peter meant? You have inherited a precious faith. Oh, but just touch with one finger because it's fragile. Is that what he meant? No. He meant precious as in it's unbelievably valuable. It's what's so valuable beyond our wildest dreams about this faith that we've inherited, that's available to us today, that Peter had, the followers of Jesus have had through the centuries and what's alive in this room here today and available to you and to me. What's so precious about it? A couple things. First thing I notice is that it's precious because of what happens through knowing Jesus, through knowing Jesus more. See, this is the call of First Peter chapter one. He's telling people, know Jesus more. And by knowing Jesus, what Peter means by that is not, do you have intellectual knowledge about who Jesus was? Do you have religious answers to religious questions? Do you know what the Bible says? Can you read all the answers, right? Have you read all the books? That's not knowledge. 
Knowledge, what Peter is talking about, is deep, intimate friendship with Jesus. Here's a newsflash. What we believe here in this church and what Christians have believed all throughout time is that you can know Jesus personally because he's alive and he's real. You could talk to him and he will talk back to you because God is real and he's available by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so through knowing Jesus more, through this friendship with Jesus, what comes through this? The word through is used five times in the first four verses conveying this idea. What happens through knowing Jesus more? There's a lot. We receive precious faith through the righteousness of Jesus. We receive grace and peace in abundance. Anybody here need more peace in your life or more grace in your life in 2020? We receive everything, everything we need to live a godly life. We receive great and precious promises and we get to participate in the divine nature. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But my goodness, there's a lot here. This is dense. What we can receive through knowing Jesus more, through increasing and growing our friendship with him. Speaking of my kids with Christmas, um, it's interesting when you have little kids, if you're a parent, if you have had kids, little kids before you have little kids now, you understand this. Yeah, as a parent, you want to really bless your kids, and we have like a pile of 10 presents for each kid, and wow, and you know, it's really kind of deflating as a parent. You're like, here you go, we love you, and through times are great, or times are a little thin at home, we're always trying to make Christmas great for the kids, and after present number two, it's like it all just blows over their head, and they don't notice anything else after that. You, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, wow, you love that t-shirt, but there are eight more gifts here, and after that, the kids are just like, mindlessly unwrapping paper off of boxes and they can't comprehend anything more. It's like, dang, we should only get kids three things every single year. It's a little deflating as a parent. Now, here's the deal with this list. There's so much in this little passage that's available to you through friendship with Jesus and through growing that more this year, it's easy for you to miss it because there's so much. So I'm just going to read that list one more time, but a little bit slower. I want you to listen carefully. What happens through you growing your friendship with Jesus and knowing him more? Precious faith. Grace and peace. Everything you need to live a godly life. Great and precious promises from God to you and the ability to participate in the divine nature. There's a lot. Maybe perhaps my New Year's resolution should be to know Jesus more. And maybe knowing Jesus more will lead to your best year yet. Now here's the other thing I noticed. I also see, why is this so precious? I also see in here, Peter talks about this phrase that we get to participate in the divine nature. Now what a phrase this is. What does this even mean? We have a great gift at our church. Uh, how many of you know Kathy Copan, who leads our partnership process? Isn't Kathy great? We love Kathy at our church. Yep, Kathy's great. Um, and Kathy is a gift to our church in and of herself. But Kathy's husband is also a gift to our church. His name is Vic Copan, and he's a professor of theology at PBA. Uh, he has a PhD, and um, he's just brilliant. Well, Vic wrote a book 
on this passage. And Vic wrote this about this phrase, what does it mean for somebody to participate in the divine nature? He wrote, and it's an astonishing claim. Jesus' desire is that we become engodded. God gives himself to us, and we share in the essence of who he is. This is Peter's way of saying what Paul says in Ephesians 3.19, that we may, quote, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Another theologian explains that participating in the divine nature, listen to this, means that we share some characteristics of God that makes the readers of the scripture more like the world of the divine than more like the world of human beings. That there's something that happens to you when you become friends with Jesus where all of a sudden over time you'll begin to more fit in with him spiritual things than fit in in your neighborhood. That doesn't mean you become weird and you're only relatable at church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like this. I've heard somebody say before that I know exactly who you'll become and who you'll be in 10 years. It's easy to predict. All you have to do is to show me what you're reading and show me your five closest friends and I can tell you who you'll be in 10 years. What if... We could show what we're reading and who we're being friends with and who we'll be in 10 years. You get what I'm saying? That where you can become friends with Jesus in such a way where he rubs off on you. And you, what what John the Baptist says, you decrease and he increases. The parts of you fade away and only Jesus comes to the surface more and more. In fact, in this passage, it talks about you'll be able to participate in the divine nature. And it also says, you'll notice this in verse four if you look on your notes, that you will escape corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. And there's some of you, your greatest heart's desire this year and here today in a holy moment is to not only grow to become more like Jesus in your character and your heart, but to also escape some things that are strangling you with evil in your life. And we could all use that this year. So think to yourself just right now, right here, where are some things where you need to become like Jesus? And where are some things in your life that you desperately need to escape and flee out of and run away from in 2020? Because they're corrupting your soul. All of this is available through friendship with Jesus. And all of this is so important because Peter talks about why do you want to do this? Why why should somebody want to be friends with Jesus? Why should somebody want to experience everything that comes through knowing Jesus more to be able to participate in the divine nature? He talks about, lastly, that there's some eternal rewards that are on the line here. Some eternal rewards. He says in verse 5, we're going to put it on the screen. Chapter one, verse five, there he says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he goes on and says it again in verse 10. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there's something about your spiritual journey that's not like a light switch, like, I said a prayer, I'm in, I'm good. But there's something 
about your spiritual journey that isn't permanent, that needs consistency, that needs increase, that needs growth, that needs persistence and perseverance to make every effort to grow in this way because of what's awaiting as an eternal reward. Let me put it this way. Is it really good in 2020 to focus on your health? Absolutely. You should do that. The Bible tells us to do that. I'm focusing on my health in 2020. Absolutely. And my body is going to grow old and it will wear out. Is it good to focus on your finances in 2020 to get healthier financially and to get out of debt and to build your savings and to improve your career? Is all that good? Yes, absolutely. The Bible tells us we should do that. But the Bible also tells us that money is your least valuable resource at the end of the day. Believe it or not. Should you focus on your career and on your goals in your workplace in 2020? Absolutely. Fulfill your potential. Do all sorts of work good in the world. All that is good and great. But nobody ever said on their deathbed, gosh, I wish I worked more. I'm there. They don't. Friends, I want to just tell you. Who you're becoming is the most important thing you're working on this year. And who you're becoming is what's going to go on to eternity. Who are you becoming right now? What is the trajectory of your life? Are you becoming more like Jesus through simply the power of friendship with him? By by being with him, he rubs off on you. Or are you going the way of corruption in the world? Which one is it? Make the choice this year that this will be the best year yet by growing with him. Amen? Amen. This is a a perfect way for us to close our service today by taking Holy Communion together. And this is one way where we can draw closer to Jesus and improve our friendship with him Because there's nothing magic about bread and juice. There's nothing magic about it. But it is symbolic. And this symbol can become a prayer. Just eating bread and juice is just eating bread and juice. But if you approach the bread and juice with faith, taking the bread and taking the juice is like a prayer. Say, Lord, I want more of you this year. And therefore make this year the best year yet. So would you bow your heads with me? Would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. Uh, scripture tells us that before we take communion, we should take time to confess our sins to God. So right now, wherever you're at, um, especially for those of you where there are some things that have been corrupting your life and been corrupting your heart, been poisoning your soul, um, we all know what that feels like. You're not alone. This isn't a museum for saints. This place is a hospital for sinners. And I'm one of them, just like you. Now's the time to confess that to a loving and merciful God. Do that now. Confess your sin to God.
scripture says that while we were still sinners, that's when Jesus died for you. And it proves that he loves you. So therefore, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's given for you. Take and eat, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, he gave thanks for it and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink this and do so in remembrance of me. So, Father, we thank you for everything you have ever done. But most of all, we thank you for the body and blood of Jesus. We thank you for his cross. We thank you for his sacrificial, substitutionary death for us in our place so that we may be forgiven, so we may be healed, so we can have fresh starts, so we can have our consciences cleansed, so you could undo the wrongs of our past. Thank you, Lord. Pour out the Holy Spirit now upon this bread and on this juice and make them be for every person in this room the body and blood of Christ. And pour out the Holy Spirit on every single person gathered here this morning that we would not only draw nearer to you, but that you would make us the body of Christ for a broken and dying world that needs your hope. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. In just a moment, when I dismiss you, you'll stand up and you'll go out your left, my right, and there'll be a communion station in front of each respective section. You'll come up and somebody tear off a piece of bread and hand it to you, and you'll dip the lower third of the bread into the cup and you can take communion that way. We have a gluten-free station here in the back of the room for anybody who has any gluten sensitivities. And uh, also, if you are somebody who has trouble moving, uh, maybe if you have some disabilities, just stay where you're at. We'll look for you and we'll come serve you. Don't feel like you have to fight through the crowd. We'll bring Jesus to you, okay? Um, And here's what we always say, community of hope. Anybody can take communion at our church. Anybody. There's only one prerequisite, that your heart longs to follow Jesus. You want to live at peace with one another. And if that's you, come to the table and come and satisfy your spiritual hunger and thirst with Jesus himself. So friends, let's come take communion. There's just a few of our friends who are still taking communion, so let's just wait in a holy moment now and respect their time to receive. And as I was just praying, uh, I have a sense um, that the, one of the real needs in the room, and I don't know necessarily what I'm talking about, I'm just sensing this by the Holy Spirit, that this, the, the real need in the room right now is that there are some of you that what you need in this coming year is what I was talking about in the message, that there's some stuff that you need to escape from. And some things are just choking out God's work in your life you're having a hard time getting free and that you need freedom. It might be addictions. Um, it might be um, some struggles. 
It might be a hard heart and some unforgiveness that you have. And so I just sense that for our closing moment, I'm going to pray what we just read over all of us, especially for you. And if that's you and you need God to help you escape from some things in your life and to get set free from some sins that are just ruining everything, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to, ask you to embarrass yourself or to identify yourself, but if you just put your hands out in front of you like this as a posture to receive, I want you to receive this prayer. So may the Lord Jesus pour out on you his divine power that he will give you everything you need for a godly life through your knowledge of him who has called you by his own glory and goodness. May you receive from him his very great and precious promises so that through them this year you may participate more in the divine nature and that by the grace of God you may escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Lord, pour out grace and peace upon every one of us this year to become more like you. Do it, Lord. I thank you that freedom is real in you, that hope is real, that change is real, that despair is a liar, and that nothing is impossible with you. We avail ourselves to you now. Make this the best year yet. Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Friends, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer room is back that way. We have people who love to talk with you, pray with you about anything. But otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.